Hey, Shelvies. Buckle up for a new episode of the Shelved Books Podcast, where every writer has a story that may never see the light of day. This is the podcast where authors share the stories that they shelved, the manuscripts that they may never publish. Then they explore the reason why they shelved this story. Welcome to the Shelved Books Podcast. Thank you so much, everybody. It's another week. It's another podcast episode. Welcome to the Shelf Books Podcast. We have an amazing guest for you today. I mean, even when we were not recording, we were already in our chuckle huts right here. Um, it's so, so fun. Um, our author today is an indie best-selling fantasy author of the Godling Chronicles and the Godbane and uh, the Akiri series. Um, Godbane Book One became a top five finalist on Audible.com, which is not easy. Not easy, ladies and gentlemen. And for Fantasy Book of the Year in 2015, and his books have sold more than 500,000 copies worldwide. That is the caliber of author that we have here today. Uh, and he became the first independent author in history to secure a six figure audio only deal for his highly anticipated two book sequel to the godling chronicles so please everybody and his author pick looks like a screenshot from the sons of anarchy everybody <laughs> please welcome brian b anderson to the i am so happy to be here i appreciate y'all having me well, thank you. And we were so happy that you said yes. And we're so happy that Lori connected us with you. Um, She's awesome. Yeah, she is. She is. She is so amazing. And we are just so honored. So if you could just tell us a little bit more about yourself so that our listeners and viewers can learn a little bit more about you. Okay, well, as you stated before, I'm Brian D. Anderson. A D is for a double dose of my fun stories. Um, <laughs> Uh, not not to be confused with Kevin J. Anderson or Brandon Sanderson, <laughs> which, <laughs> which if we have time, I have a couple stories about that that confusion that, that that'll be. <laughs> but um, yeah, I live in I live in Fairhope, Alabama, a little sleepy little town, and um, nestled along the coast of the uh, of Mobile Bay. I have been writing professionally for about 12, 13 years now. Um, I came out, um, I came into this right in the, the 2010 to 12 era of what we call kind of the indie explosion when mm -hmm. all the independent authors were, uh, were becoming recognized. Uh, we were still not really looked favorably upon by the traditional world. And a week didn't go by where you saw some article about how we were uh, ruining literature, mm -hmm. but you know, I mean, Hey, you know, we, we were giving the fans what they wanted. And I was a part of that crowd who uh, sort of, we were taking a lot of pride. You had a lot of us who were taking a lot of pride in the, what our, how our books were presented, how our books were edited. We weren't just putting unedited garbage out there just to see, you know, see if somebody wanted to buy it. Um, and the industry sort of grew from that. And um, when you uh, mentioned the 2015, my, my audiobook that was Dragon Man, it was my second series. I was the first indie in history to be in the finals. I think Jonathan Renshaw, who was an indie, won it the next year. Wow. And so 
Um, yeah, I was really, I was really part of part of that. You know how this, how the industry. There was really no resources at the time, so when I was coming up, the industry sort of grew around us. And um, from there, I went on to you know write, a, um, do some audio deals, and uh, as uh, as you mentioned, and um, I was getting to where I, I you know I sort of cl climbed climbed the mountains that I had available to me as an indie. Wow. So I wanted to uh, dip my toes into traditional um, uh, publishing. So I got with my agent. And we pitched um, pitched uh, the uh, the Barge Blade, which is book one of the Sorcerer's Song tour books. Mm -hmm. They accepted that, and I just finished up uh, book three of that uh, trilogy. Just came out um, uh, on this past Tuesday. So oh. yeah, so it, um, it's been a wild ride. Is you know, I mean, I'm not. I didn't take the the traditional route of uh, become you know being a, lit a literature major in school or a journalism major and all that. I mean, I sold cars. I worked at, worked in power plants. I did all sorts of other things, but I always loved writing. I had a flair for writing. I was a professional musician for a long long time, and just sort of fell into this. So, and now, now I can't even imagine myself doing anything else. Yeah. And I think it's because you've lived the life and mm -hmm. it forms your writing because. So a degree can only get you so far, but it's really the lived experience that I think adds because your characters are experiencing things you're you know you have there are situations even if you're writing fantasy there are situations in your books that you know take from real life that that you have to that you can also translate into fantasy novels sci-fi whatever horror whatever because well, the, the, relation, the relationships people have with one another under stressful yeah. situations is pretty universal yeah. Uh, there's certain certain universal themes um, that that uh, that translate from genre to genre. Um, fantasy enables me to tackle some sensitive subjects without being contemporary, and, yeah. and which is I can I can ta I can tackle bigotry without without um, I can tackle racism. I can tackle um, f um, you know fundamental fundamentalism you know it, it, all these different subjects i can tackle in a fantasy world and i don't have to, I, i'm not in fear of uh being basically canceled <laughs> uh, because because i'm not writing about the actual world and um i can write about um the, the same subject matter between orcs and elves mm -hmm. for example right, as opposed to what we see every day with the same lessons and 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 I think I think the, the pill is a little easier for a reader to swallow when it's something that they're not being faced with every day. But also living having lived a life I, um, that I've lived, character building um, is a lot more fun for me because I've known so many people both detestable and wonderful, and. Um, I I didn't really need to have a uh, take a class on uh, on how to build characters because I kind of understood that fundamentally um, right at the beginning. You know, one of the big mistakes that people make um, is when they and if you ever hear somebody doing this, knowing they're teaching you on a very amateur level, um, they go characters are a list of strengths and weaknesses. Something like that. that's that's absolutely hundred percent wrong. Um, a D and D character is a, a list of strengths and weaknesses. An actual person is a culmination of their history. Yes, um, very true. 
if you take uh, their, their natural born um, tendencies combined with their, their history and the influences that history had upon them. If you take two people, two characters, they're at a, a narrow bridge, they're both terrified of heights. One person, uh, um, um, both equally terrified of heights. One uh, one able, is able to overcome that that terror and cross the bridge. The other one freezes up. So why is that? So you have to dig into their history to figure out why one person could marshal the strength. What about their situation was different? All these different things that are different about a person. So when you're um, one of the things that the, the part of living a full life and living a uh, you know um, um, very colorful life over the years. Um, has given me is that understanding of what makes me me what makes you you I mean mm -hmm. I may not know that about you but I know enough to know that whatever you're into whatever your likes and dislikes are didn't uh, didn't uh, didn't come out of a vacuum they came right. out of a, a lived experience mm -hmm. and um I think when people uh, are taught character building they're they're often not taught that they're often taught to sort of check boxes rather than um, look at a lived experience. Mm -hmm. See, three um, minutes in and we already have a nugget of wisdom. I'm exactly. amazed. Good for you, I, Brian. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. I, I actually, I, I think I knew that inherently, but I haven't, I haven't heard it verbalized that way before. Yeah. It's, it's just <laughs> fascinating. And it, and it's, it seems, it seems common sense, right? It yeah. does, but <laughs> we lose ourselves in the nuance of the writing process. I think, yeah, mm -hmm. where the common sense sort of sometimes goes. we get bogged down in our own yeah. prose. Yes, yes, exactly. And and we haven't even gone into the shelf book, and you told us that you have two that you want to share with us today. So which one do you want to start with? Well, um, well, there's, I have a book out that used to be a shelf book. It's uh, called Talos. T-A-L-O-S. I don't know if that's an actual name or not. It was just something that sounded cool. A named James <laughs> Tallis who say, um, science fiction, dystopian science fiction um, that I started writing as a episodic thing. I was going to try something new and mm -hmm. write it in episode one, episode two, episode three, and, and, and break it off into seasons. And, um, you know, I, I never could get it to work. I never could, you know, make uh, get it to uh, get any interest for it. No one is kind of out of my genre. But years later, I mean, I kept, I never could get my mind off of it. And um, what was it about? Well, it's uh, the world comes to a screeching halt. Nobody knows why. Uh, all the all communications, electricity, travel, cars don't work, planes don't work, nothing works. And shortly after that, the army starts hurting people to, uh, to uh, depending on where you live in the country. Some people are herded to Atlanta, others to Detroit, others to, you know, to parts of in the, wherever you are. But people are being herded by the army saying, come, come with us, but no explanation is given. And this weird thing is going on where people are just pretty much going along with it. And you don't, and that, that, that in itself seems very odd. Um, but there are small groups that were, refused to go. And I based mine in my hometown. Um, I call it Fairview instead of Fairhope, where this small group of, say, 50 people who refused to leave, um, they sort of make a life here, and they create this pontoon island out in Mobile Bay 
where they can be safe because these clones start showing up murdering people. Oh, wow. And uh, there, there's one called the little girl. She's like this little eight-year-old little girl that'll come up and say she's <laughs> close to you. Will carve you up. Ooh. There's there's the, the the normal guy who looks like basically you know your stereotypical guy in a in a, in a, a kind of bowler hat guy, you know, just a generic <laughs> person. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, there's one I call the uh, forgive my my language the whore. <laughs> She I know what up, she does. No, well, no, no, she comes up, she comes up butt naked. And then when she gets close enough and men are stupid enough to sit there and like let this stranger because they're naked, come up to him, then she kills him. And, oh, yeah. um, and then there's different um, versions. There's like five or six versions of these clones. And uh, they then all of a sudden they just stop coming around. And mm. that, that, that so we're down to this small group who lives on this uh, on this pontoon island that you know there's razor they put they lay razor wire and they want to make it very difficult to to get down there and but they they've started really peace you know there's little towns here and there little spots of people but all of a sudden the clones show back up and then there's this um, so the main character he is who. Um, he is on basically a mission to find out what happened, what happened to his family. He he gets has reason to suspect his family's still alive. Mm. His wife and daughter, and he, the history about who he is isn't what he thought. History, you know, it's you know that that kind of. I hate to get, if I give away too much, he gives away the story. Yeah, I had it on the shelf for for a long, long time, and. An opportunity arose with Blackstone Publishing, um, who does who do audiobooks, to um, publish it through them. So I took it off the shelf, re-edited it, and um, I had to go back through it to to uh, sort of date uh, some of the some of the references were a little dated, and so I had to you know fix that. And now it's actually, you know, uh, the first audiobook's available. The second one come out next year sometime. Oh, that is so oh, cool. cool. So cool. After this podcast, I'm getting that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll find out more. <laughs> <laughs> the little girl was like, Ooh. I mean, oh, that, that, when you said the little girl, I'm like, oh, yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, yeah, when I told you about the naked woman that comes up and kills people, there's this yeah. one character, and I can tell this without giving it away. Her husband were killed by this. She's like, just. Yeah, she didn't yeah. yeah. because of how he died. And she's like, Screw him. It's like expected. You know, when you first shelved it, like, had you tried, like, did you try going to agents with it? Did you try publishing it? Like, when did you decide, okay, uh, obviously nothing's well, going to happen with this? I went, I talked to my agent about it, and there was really no vehicles for me that um, at the time, and at the time I had so many other things going on, and I really don't think Lori was excited for me to be do, uh, be doing that because I had <laughs> other 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 obligations, and you know, and I'm bad that way where I'll take on way more than I should. <laughs> um, the end. The, the thing is, it just wasn't the right. There wasn't a there. Was, I hadn't found the right format for it. I, had, I I was trying something new, and I didn't really know how to go about it. You know, what I mean, it was, um, and some of those things is sheer stumbling on the right formula. 
if you think about like Hugh Howie when he did wool and in the silo series, he caught lightning in a bottle. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, I love you. I actually know uh, he's he's a great guy. I actually know him personally, and um, nice. and he. Uh, but uh, you know, early in my career, um, I was trying to get advice about how to move forward. I couldn't even take Hugh's advice because some of the stuff is only applicable to Hugh Howie. <laughs> 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 I mean. His book broke the internet. How do you take it? <laughs> First write a book that is universally loved out of nowhere. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh just so, like that. Yeah, so I didn't really have, you know, and I wasn't a short story writer. It wasn't something I did. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I didn't write. I wrote, the shortest thing I'd written up to that point was 94,000 words. Oh. You know what I mean? So it was, these were in little five and eight thousand word bits yeah, yeah. so what i did is i stuck them all together i ended up after i showed when i brought it back out mm. i stuck them all together and uh, and had i had all, two seasons basically i was bringing them to, into episodes and, and into seasons stuck them all together so i had to edit to smooth the transitions okay. to where uh to make it one continuous chapter story you know uh, you know instead of like the way you would you know, see an episode and you have to wait till next week to, to see the next episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that took some editing. Um, and what, and I, uh, Blackstone was very interested. So we did a audio book with them. And uh, I tell you how what, did they contact you, great. Brian? Like, how did you uh, get in contact with them to, to get this audio book deal going? My, my agent. Yeah. Oh, nice. McLean over at Fuse Literary. She is awesome. I can't say enough about her. Uh, she is just, but she's she's been with me since almost the beginning you know nice. what i mean uh she, yeah, since i think i had the third book of the godling chronicles out which was my first series mm -hmm. when i signed with her um a friend of mine um um michael j sullivan introduced uh, introduced us nice. uh, so you didn't gone. so you didn't query so you didn't query that way well, so you were like no, no, no. There's three, and I, people always ask, "How do you get an agent?" And I'm like, mm -hmm. "That I know of, there's only three ways. There is uh, you can query an agent, mm -hmm. and there's great. And if you're going to query an agent, um, there's some great material out there on how to write your query letter to get it noticed. Um, that's, but it's also a very slow process. Yeah. There, you go to a convention where the agents are going to be. So if you do that, you need to have your elevator pitch. Yeah. on point practice yeah. it in the mirror practice <laughs> it with your friends and you know um that's another way and then there's referrals mm. referrals is by far the easiest way it's yeah. not a guarantee mm, because right. i've referred i've referred like four people to fuse literary of the four one has been taken on as a client i mean but what it does do it gets you bumped off the slush pile yeah. into the i'll read you now pile yeah. and um and and so that's it. I don't know any other way. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. like if you so you were referred, right? So like that do you sub do you still submit a query letter or do you already or do they ask for a full? Well, um with Lori being that I, you know, she you know, I don't, I don't really have to I don't have to submit new work. Uh, I mean, new, new, a query to Lori every time I, I want to write something new. I've been with her for over a decade. No, like in the beginning, um, like when you first, when when you were when you were first referred to her. 
by your friend. Oh, when I was first re referred to her, uh, no, I just sent her uh, one of my books. Oh, nice. And she needed just, and um, I was already selling tens of thousands of uh, indie books. So, I mean, I was, I was actually pretty well known no. at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, so once, but you still got to, uh, uh, for the, to be seen by the editors, uh, you still got to write query letters. You still got to do all that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and one of the things that Lori at the time, I know other agents are, have, have uh, sort of like followed their example, but at the time um, she was one of the few agents that were handling indies. Yeah. Um, that, um, and she saw the value in the sub rights and the, and the, and the fact that you could have a great writer that um, may necessarily can't sell one of their books oh. and you can sell the sub rights, you can sell the audio rights, you can still yeah. sell the foreign rights yeah. and yeah, make smart. some money yeah. yes. and they yeah. can go indie with the digital uh, or, or you could just do like, I think what um, Toby Neal um she a great friend of mine who who I quote all the time being by when she said you can't edit what's not on the page. Yes. Um, so she, what she does is she uh, gives Lori one of her books and there's a a set amount of time to to see if anybody will buy it. Oh. If nobody buys it within that period of time, she publishes it herself. Oh, and, yeah. and there can be so many reasons that that mm -hmm. a publisher doesn't take your book as often it's not even the quality of the work yeah. i mean a lot of times it is but you know i mean sometimes it can just it can be as far it can go it can really boil down to the the the, the editor the acquisitions editor not being in a good mood Ooh, yeah <laughs> i mean it, yeah. it really can boil down to that yeah. or the thing that bought a, a similar book recently mm -hmm. you know what yeah. i mean there's a there's a gajillion reasons your book won't get accepted. So I mean, so when you shelve it, when you're shelving a book, there it's not always down to it was a not not a good book. Yes. But there there are stories I've written, ideas I've had that I put in the shelf that they just it, I, they're there because they sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and I, had to, and I, had to, I mean, and that, that I had to get down with my ego and sort of sort of admitting that not everything that comes out of my, my, my uh, out of my head is is gold. Some <laughs> of it is crap. And, <laughs> so how do you how do you then differentiate that? How <laughs> how do you yourself say, oh, this is crap. This is something worth worthwhile. Well, well, if I have taken something to the point where I've actually started writing a novel, which take is a process unto itself, um, I usually pass it on to some friends, okay. you know, before I get too deep into it, who I know won't spare my feelings. And they'll tell me what I want to hear. Not, I mean, what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. And that that's a bitter pill for somebody to swallow, especially especially aspiring writers when you're, you you want to hear how great you are. You don't want to hear that you suck. I mean, yeah. nobody wants to hear that. Uh, um, but sometimes that's what you need to hear. Yeah. You know, what I mean, I've seen I've seen people they can't understand why no, nobody is buying their book. And I read it and I was, well, you know, because your writing is not ready for prime time yet. Yeah. You know, what I mean, it, 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 I'm sorry, it's just not. Um, but the, you know, 
then you get you can get that's a touchy thing because you can get accused of stepping on my dreams or being yeah. you know being this yeah. or that. I'm not stepping on your dreams, you know. What I mean, but you know, well, what do you can just it's your opinion that it's not good. I'm like, yeah. well, you know, what was that? I think a Supreme Court justice said, you know, I don't know what porno pornography is, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> I, I don't know, I, I don't know what bad writing is, but I know it when I read it. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. exactly right. So there, you know, you got to be willing to take that kind of criticism and um take it seriously without taking it personally. Mm-hmm. You know oh, what I mean? You, and there's you, value in writing something, right? Every time you write something, you're learning something new, right? Yeah. I mean, I've been doing this, I've, I've written 25 novels. Um, so, and I'm still finding ways to improve my writing. You know I mean? I, th- I don't think I'll ever get a lot better prose-wise than I am now because it's just, I, I've found my voice yeah. Um, but I can actually adjust it to where I where I'm a little more eloquent oh. or a little more accessible. I tend to try to write what's called accessible prose, oh. where, um, uh, that I'm not I'm not trying to prove to you how large my vocabulary is or how clever I am. I'm trying to tell you an entertaining story. Yeah. And, um, and that's what your readers <clears throat> want. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm by no means the best wordsmith out there. I mean, I can think of a dozen guys that are better than me, oh. but um, it's yeah. It, I mean, I, I'm just uh, off the top of my head, Emma Caffrey, Tad mm-hmm. Williams. I mean, just oh, all yeah. much better wordsmiths than I'll ever be. Oh. Um, and um, Mercedes Lackey, yeah. uh, S.M. Sterling. You know, what I mean. <laughs> Um, just, just uh, all these fantastic writers, but I don't have to be as good as they are. I have to be a, prof- I have to write at a professional level. Mm-hmm. And then, but I don't think people. I don't think you can you say know, that you're not as good as them, Brian. Like I think that you, you have a really, voice. I really can because I can read their prose and go, oh my yeah. god. <laughs> you know there's something, like, there's something about storytelling. I wouldn't have ever thought to frame something that way that was mm-hmm. so elegant. And not, not to say that I'm not, and, I'm, and this is not being self-deprecating. This is not me bashing myself. I mean, there are it's some some writers are objectively better than I am, but that's not to say I'm not a good writer. It's just to say mm-hmm. that they their prose is a, is more elegant, more sophisticated than mine. Yeah, this side is different. A, yeah, I, and the, I write it at a professional level. I mean, it's yeah, like once you I get past. That. Picture anything below this would be amateur. Anything above this is professional. Once you reach that, yeah, it becomes it. it, You know, once you reach that pro level prose, then it almost doesn't matter if you're better than Stephen King or not. It just because you're writing with your voice. That's exactly it. Some people's voices are better than others. I'm sorry, Buccelli has a better voice than David Bowie, but that doesn't mean you don't like David Bowie. Yes. I like the way you said that too. Yeah. You know, because everyone has value in their own way. And, you know, and and your your fans love, obviously love your voice and are entertained by you. So, yeah. And yeah, I try to say to where I'm, I don't want to come across as I'm like, getting down on myself or that I'm being, being false, false modesty or anything like that. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a good writer. If I mm-hmm. wasn't, then I wouldn't be where I am. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
<laughs> but you know, I mean, and it does it, reaching that threshold is 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 the challenge because once, you, especially when you look at all your shelf stuff, if you're being that this is about shelf material, I can look back on the stuff that I didn't publish and some of the stuff that I started and um and, and just gave up on and i look at the pros and i'm like oh damn mm -hmm. um it's not just the pros it's the the way i framed things yeah. um the way i framed dialogue yeah. the, the way i um where uh, putting information dumps in there that are just yeah you know um uh putting i mean that, that's really, that's really tough, you know. Trying not yeah. to maiden butler it, you know. I mean, and try, you know. I don't know if you maiden butler is. Um, does it, everybody knows what that means, right? Mm -hmm. for, for those who don't, okay. what back in <laughs> back in the vaudeville days when they do a play, um, you would have the maiden, the butler speaking in front of the audience, kind of giving the information oh. they need to understand the story. Yes, got so it. They would, oh, okay. um, then there you have a, a, a Holmes character style where um, you're, you're, you're moving the information along with Sherlock telling Holmes. Oh. Everything, right? Everything, which okay. in turn informs the reader. So yeah. there's, a lot of the, there's a lot of that that, yeah. You can do it, but you got to be very careful. And there's stuff like in my in a lot of my shelves stuff. I was doing very clunky, amateurish ways of do, mm -hmm. of, of of conveying information. I even did that in Talos, and I had to make some adjustments there on yeah. how I was how I was uh, framing a few things. Mm -hmm. um, mainly, I think I, what I ran into is I was writing outside my normal genre, and I was still making some adjustments. Mm -hmm. um, because there's a thing called fantasy speak that when you write fantasy yeah. that you write in and oh. um it, it takes a little bit of a a, a a a little time to get back into a normal voice you know oh. that um, having having conversations that can happen in a real world <laughs> yeah. it's the same for the reader the you know when you switch from sci-fi to fantasy mm -hmm. yeah yeah because i mean a sci-fi book and a fantasy book have very different feelings when you read, like when you read it, you feel a different way and you have to be in a different mindset when you yes. want to read something like that too. Especially if you're writing contemporary, which is what mm -hmm. uh, Talos is. Uh -huh. I'm writing, it, I'm writing it in, in, in this modern world, in this modern, mm -hmm. with a modern map and um, having to have real life conversations. And there's actually a trick to that. Um, <laughs> the, um, that if you have, Microsoft Word, or I'm sure the other other programs, whatever program you're using, and you use text to speech, uh -huh. and you can actually, and the and the voices aren't so robotic as they once were, yes. and yes. you can um and you can hear the conversation read back to you, um, then you, you can you know you can sort of say is this is this conversation working, is this is this something somebody would really say, oh. and you you, you can't. There's also a, a really kind of a fine line. They call it um, over over realization, yes. you know, where you don't want a conversation that sounds exactly like a real conversation because it wouldn't read well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is one of the reasons I never could use dragon to write. I tried to use a dragon. <laughs> I have a dragon in all. 
Uh, the dragon I drives me crazy. <laughs> I would love I, the dragon, but I hate the dragon. <laughs> I could use it for blog posts and writing yeah. as 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 me <laughs> to write a book that way. Uh, um, there was no way in hell, especially with uh, all the different words that I'm like in, was inventing out of thin air mm -hmm. um, and trying to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the names and the spellings. Oh, yeah. that's, that's, that's the only like, how do you come part. up with that? I said sometimes it's just letter salad. <laughs> <laughs> so the parts I, I love like about that. fantasy novels is like the, the different the names and salon and yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm literally taking a word in another language <laughs> and just switching it up a little bit, putting a Y where an I used to be. Yes. Or J, just a random J in there. Yeah, stick a random J in there. <laughs> and it works. And, but you know, there's something I gravitated to that I think, you know, um, puts a lot of things into context is when you said you have to write at a professional level. Yeah. I think a lot of aspiring writers need to know that. Yes. It's like, it's not stepping on your dream. Your dream will always be there regardless of what anybody says. But you have to understand, and I'm speaking to the writers here, to those who are listening, you have to understand that Brian is right. You have to reach a certain professional level. That's what, that's what traditional publishing is is getting writers to do is you get to that yeah. professional level where they can sell the product and, well, that, and not get just just completely raked over the coals by the critics yes, you know yes, I mean? yes, like, yes. like why are you publishing this person who can't who's yeah. still writing like they're doing a high school essay yes you know? exactly there's a difference and and i think once you understand that as a writer you will see there is there is a, because when you read there are books you know, even if they're all tradition, even if you just read traditionally published books, let's say, because there's mm -hmm. a difference between traditional and indie. And then, but you still see like there are traditionally published books that are like mm, quality, not so good. And then there yeah. are traditionally published books that are wow, the quality is like whoa. Yeah. So almost the same with like, you know, the difference between a handmade leather shoe than like a synthetic. Like something yes, that you yes. wear twice and it's gonna disintegrate. Something made in a sweatshop half a world away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. And that and it and I love that light bulb moment because that clicked for me. Because sometimes sometimes it's like you know it in the back of your head, but you don't have words to You can't really put, put yes. your finger on what's wrong. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yes. And then the no. fact that you said you have to write at the professional level. That and some of it's stylistic. You know, you got to remember when I say professional level, yes, I don't yes. mean I don't mean that their style isn't at a professional level. Okay, take Stephen King for example. Yeah. Stephen King is objectively a great writer. He's mm -hmm. I, I'm not I'm not worthy to be in the same room as Stephen King. That's not and true. So I'm not saying anything <laughs> against Stephen King, but I've never really cared for his style. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not, it's not that it's bad. It's just not, it's I'd rather different. read Sanderson. I'd rather read Sanderson. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. From my yeah. taste, as far as like the literary style. Yeah. So yeah. when I say professional level, I don't mean, even mean style. And I said, it's hard to put your finger exactly on what you mean by it. Yeah. Yeah. But 
And the good news is for the aspiring writers is these are skills that can be acquired. Yes. They, yes. they are, they really, there are certain talents that are just talents. Yeah. But mm -hmm. the prose is a skill that can be acquired. You know, yeah. you can't reach that level mm -hmm. through, through study, through practice, through, you know, uh, uh, and patience um to reach that that level of prose to where you will be considered writing prose at a professional level wow. now and you can there's a bunch of what about being a not especially if you're going to be a a, a fiction novelist yeah. and um that you, you can acquire certain a lot of these skills there's certain things you can acquire uh, that are just you either have it or you don't uh -huh. and that mm -hmm. um that is the ability to come up with compelling stories yeah. you know that's that's going to be you know um that's the x factor that yeah. whether or not that that's that can't really be taught i mean you can be formulaic um and and if you and you and you need to have a good grasp on story structure to to so you can take your good idea and form it properly for consumption but um, the 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 meat and uh, the meat and potatoes have to really come from an, a sort of an X factor thing that you either have or you do not, and yeah. that's because if everybody had it, everybody'd be doing this. Yes. Um, the last numbers I saw that in the entire world, there are only fifteen thousand genre fiction novelists making a living. Wow, there are more professional athletes in the United States. Yes. And there are now no, writers making a living because being a novelist isn't the, uh, you know writing writing fiction novels isn't the only way to make a living yeah. you know what I mean as a writer but in that in that narrow group you know where you imagine you know yourself at book signings you know that's you know there's only fifteen thousand of us and that's indie and traditional combined that's oh, wow. not a lot. No, Brian, you are taking us through a master class and I love it. I love it. Everything that you're saying is pure gold right now like and for the, for the for the newer writer like it's it's fantastic thank you <laughs> what a lot of people forget is we all started out uh as readers and yes. um if you want to learn how to write first thing you need to do is learn how to read as a student uh -huh. yes. if, if you say say you like george martin's writing a lot well next time pick up one of martin's books look at carefully how he frames his dialogue Look at carefully how he, where, what, what in his world around him does he describe? Uh -huh. You know, I mean, it's so easy. That's where you really start seeing young writers compared to more mature writers and their experience of the world having a little more depth. Some young writers are excellent. I mean, yes. don't get me wrong. This is not, you know, I'm not trying to paint everybody with the same brush. But look at a guy like Martin when he's describing his, the environment. He is setting certain key things he does to set a mood. Mm -hmm. He's foreshadowing what's about to happen mm -hmm. just by 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 setting setting the scene before the so first true. thing happens. So when you're wanting to learn how to do this, take the writers that you most love yeah. and break apart piece by piece. What are they doing? Um, actually, uh, there's another, uh, Brandon Sanderson. I, I know I bring him up a lot, but he's one of my favorite, uh, contemporary. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. He does this, uh, 10 part, uh, series absolutely free on YouTube. Yeah. Um, um, his, uh, creative writing class at BYU. Yes. And 
I, I can't recommend it highly enough. Oh. Actually, um, <laughs> early in my career, people kept on getting me confused with him because of the way my <laughs> name looks on the. It's so true, though. Because <laughs> at the time, I'm like, yeah, where's this writing thing going to take me anyway? And, um, and what are the odds of me meeting Sanderson? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, we have the same publisher, and I made it. And I'm, I'm good friends with his best friend, uh, Dan <laughs> Wells. And <laughs> That's so cool. And uh, who actually wrote me a, a, a on another temporarily shelved book. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. And um, this is not really shelved. We're just uh, um, sort of like trying to find a uh, the right publishing vehicle for it. Mm. Um, it's a very long 225,000 word uh, door stopper. Wow. And it's book oh. one. Oh my gosh, really? Oh. Yeah, I love the books. It's, it's, <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, I met him. I met him uh, uh, a couple of years ago in Utah at Salt, uh, at FanX, oh. and I told him I was like, I told him I used to occasionally get reviews, and people thought I was him. And I was like, <laughs> you know, like now we have the same publisher. What are the odds of us meeting? Oh, well, pretty damn good as it turned out. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but he had a great sense of humor about it. He, he, he you know. <laughs> But I'm getting confused with him and Kevin J. Anderson, who I actually know quite well too. And and I was at, a good outside, to have, outside I of Con, um, <laughs> uh, sitting on the steps outside of Con, smoking a cigarette. And this guy sits down next to me, and I have my guest badge on. And he looks over and he goes, "Oh my God, I can't believe it's you." I'm like, "Yes, it's me." And he's like, "I've been trying to get in touch with you for weeks." I'm like, "Really? <laughs> I'm not hard to get in touch with." You know. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, I'm here now. What do you need, man? He's like, well, uh, we want you to be a guest at our con. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Do I need to call your agent? I'm like, if you want to, but she doesn't really handle that end of, she, you know, um, of, of my career. She handles my the literary end of it, not my appearances. And so as I'm talking to this guy, I realize he thinks I'm Kevin J. Anderson. <laughs> he thinks I'm Kevin. Kevin's inside. And I'm like, now nah, I'm going to let him dangle a little while. <laughs> because I also see on his face him realize I'm not who he thinks he is. Now That's he's so trapped. <laughs> you can just go he see doesn't... Kevin and say, hey, I just booked you. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. He, I mean, <laughs> like, I mean he's just completely funny. trapped. Completely. Uh, you know, just. He didn't know how to get out of this without embarrassing himself. <laughs> so I finally let him off the hook. I said, dude, I'm not Kevin. Um, Kevin's That's inside. You know, I told him where to find him. Oh, too <laughs> funny. How embarrassing for that guy. <laughs> oh, wow. That's... So you, you said you have like a second shelf book to share with us? Oh, yeah. Well, this was called uh, The Souls of the Descendants. Okay. And it's uh, two, it's a, High epic fantasy it follows three separate storylines, plus an overlying arc of these uh, creator gods um, at a, uh, basically playing a game. And the people involved are the pieces, and you don't know who's whose piece. That sounds and, so cool. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's very, very long. So it likes to 225,000 words. Um, book one is finished. It hasn't been through an editing process yet, but it has been through like six drafts. It's clean enough to where I, I let people read it. Um, oh, wow. 
Yeah, I've gotten great uh, great reviews from Dan Wells, Faith Hunter, uh, nice. Christopher Ruccio, um, just uh, Dirk, Dirk Benedict, who in the indie world is like just everybody's favorite person. Look at um, you name dropping. <laughs> yeah. So when, when you say you're looking for a right publishing vehicle for it, what do you mean by that? Well, this is kind of, I'm really hoping that in, in the fantasy genre, this is kind of like the world I ride in for the rest of my career. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have some other ideas for the other types of stories, but with this one, because the world is two continents, um, uh, dozens of nations, two, two separate magic systems, all sorts of different um, cultural and racial um, groups that have their own unique, um, you know, perspective and um that it, i could literally write in this world for the rest of my career so i need uh, to know where that career where, where that's where that ends up oh. and because if if the book is a success which i hope it is then that's where i'm going to be for a very long time yeah. and these, you that know, sounds amazing even, well even after i finish what i, I plan for as a trilogy um I can write in this world for almost indefinitely and, mm -hmm. I, and I'm trying to make, I'm trying to, and it's, and it's a very rich, um, um, just deep, deep world. You know what I mean? The, uh, and we were talking about the, the, the BYU lectures. It, it, um, it's, it, it's, it's a, um, Sanderson described basically what we all, uh, all, all do and all describe is in your world building, you have a, uh, it's like an iceberg. Yes. You got the tip of it, you get the reader and everything else. Now, that's one of the, and that, that is one piece of advice I always try to give, especially aspiring writers. Oh. Don't, don't become a D, uh, don't, you're not a dungeon master if that's where you're, you know, anymore, if that's where you're, you know, you don't have, you don't have to, you, I know you worked hard on this world, oh. but yeah. You're the only one that's really going to appreciate if you start like spilling the beans on every little thing, just it becomes boring for the reader. The reader cares yeah. about the story. Not, I mean, the yeah. world's important, but it's, mm -hmm. it's secondary to the characters and plot. Yeah. You know I mean, oh, it just really is. I mean, there's some, there's only very few exceptions to that. What Tolkien being ex an exception. And, you know, Tolkien, you know, if you ever have a little trivia question, how long did, uh, when did, uh Tolkien stopped working on his uh Lord of uh, Middle Earth. Oh, never. never he worked on it till the day he died. He was still oh. building that world. Oh. And um, so you know, I mean, so I always tell people, remember that this is all they really need to see, and all they really care about, all really, really cares about oh. is all this shit's important to you, but it's really not important to the story. Yeah. If it doesn't serve the story, then it doesn't need to be revealed yeah. you know what i mean yeah that's there there's a thing called pacing that yeah. if you slam the brakes on your pacing you're going to lose your reader yeah it's not it's not even mystery one of yeah. the biggest uh, one of the biggest mistakes um i see and, and i see this in more experienced writers uh, from time to time but it's mostly like I said, most of these are amateur mistakes is that um they um they'll give an information dump oh because they feel that if they don't explain this, that the reader is going to get pissed off oh. and not want to continue on when the, just the opposite is true. 
Yeah. You, you leave a you leave that mystery. You don't even have to answer that question um, for a long time, mm -hmm. or you don't even answer it directly. You keep it this ambiguously, you know, vague sort of. You know, uh, you think that they have to sort of slowly figure out, um, and you know, because you're deciding what kind of learning curve to put your reader on. But yeah. once you once you've adopted that learning curve. You need to stick to it because yeah. you start screwing around with your pacing in a story. And the, I mean, okay. a story comes out in a kind of a rhythm. And, and that's part of the fun of reading, right? Is you want to yeah. figure out the mystery. You don't want it explained to you. You want to figure it out throughout yeah. the book. So, yes, yeah, yeah. you're 100% I use, a, right. I, I yeah. use a, uh, a little thing that I made up on the fly, actually, at a, at a, um, at a lecture. Guy wakes up um, in his in his bed, not very in a bad mood. He looks at the side, sees his broken medallion on a bro uh, uh, next uh, on his nightstand. He gets up, has breakfast, gets dressed, sho shoves the broken medallion in his pocket. He's walking, walks down this alleyway because he's trying to save some time. Gets mugged by these two guys who he knows. They he fights like a he just fights like a madman, and but. He's overcome, gets beaten unconscious, wakes up, the medallion in his pocket is gone. Okay. But he uh, he, he um, wakes up in his bed with the medallion gone, the, the constable and his, and his family in the room with him. Constable asked what happened. He said he was on his way back from getting his medallion, dropping his medallion off to be repaired. And two men he'd never had seen before mugged him and, and beat, him, beat him senseless. And now what I've done, you know, for a fact that he was on his way to get it fixed, you know, for a fact, he didn't know the two guys. Oh. Now I can also add stuff like when he got up, he smelled a sickly sweet odor and uh, didn't, or, the, or that he, and he heard a high pitched chirp. Oh. Now, uh, on, you know, I add that in, <clears throat> but what I've done is this little medallion say is part of the world building. I, I, I haven't told you what it is, but now you're really curious. Mm -hmm. Really? <laughs> uh, you have to you have to have one to buy, sell, and trade. Otherwise, your family will starve. Mm. Um, he, um, if it's known that it's missing, that's bad news. So he wants to try to recover it himself. That's why he says he doesn't know the men who took it. Oh. The bad, the the sickly sweet odor is a fungus that grows in uh, in very poor neighborhoods. So every time you smell that, you know you're in a poor neighborhood. Oh, I don't cool. tell you that right away. <laughs> I don't even tell you that at all. Just oh. every time you're in an impoverished area in a city, I bring up that smell. Oh, Eventually, you start making that connection. Oh, and okay, the, the high-pitched chirp is an insect that only comes around a certain time of year. Oh. So I've, I've done all this world building. I hadn't told you the answers to any of this. Oh. But you get to discover it as you go on. Yes. And, Very um, cool. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing... And you don't have to tell the reader at all. Matter of fact, it's so much better that you don't. don't. When you're going back on your shelved book, ask yourself, how many times did you do that? And if you correct these little things, how much better? Maybe it's time to, can you take this off the shelf if you make these things and make these adjustments? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. if it's a bad story, it's a bad story. And, but, and be prepared for that too. Because, you know I mean? If you're going to be a writer, um, I know, I, I'm sorry if I'm rambling, but if you're going to be a writer, you got to be you got to be ready for the kind of criticism that's going to hurt your feelings. Agreed. Yes. Yeah. 
And you know, I, you are not rambling. We are just enthralled by what yes. you're saying. <laughs> um, and the thing is, I think we shouldn't underestimate our readers. They're smart. You know? yeah. Otherwise, they otherwise they'd be uh, be watching television. Yes, <laughs> exactly. The fact that they sat down and and dedicated their time to read already says something. So spoon feeding them would would be just wasting their time because the mental calisthenics that is needed to read and you you're right that it is insulting you yes. know that if you don't you know it's also showing a lack of confidence in your ability as a storyteller yes you know um and that believe it or not will come across to the reader you yeah. know if yeah. you don't have that confidence in yourself why yes. should the reader care about your story yeah, I mean, yeah because you as a reader well, no. I mean, when you read a book, you know. So translating it to you as a writer, then mm -hmm. it it comes out as well. And and that is just so amazing that you share that with us. We are we are just blown away by yes. everything that you have shared with us. And and we could definitely sit here for hours just <laughs> on the things that you know about craft. Because even if you say like. Yes, you're a straightforward writer, and 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 and, and but still, the, your knowledge of craft is so enthralling that I could oh, sit here and listen to you talk about writing, and and I am just so blown away. And thank you so much for sharing. Well, you know, that. if you just the thing is, if you just I learned this through listening to other writers, yes. writers who I respect. And we all, we a great writer, um, you know, the people who I consider great writers often don't, aren't able to express this. Mm -hmm. So you have to, you have to uh, realize what they're doing through their work. Yeah. And you got to have the patience to break it apart and break it apart critically. And I will, I will warn uh, warn people if you do this though it can make it very difficult to read for fun anymore yeah <laughs> I, i'm serious i, yeah, I do all the books now because every time i read a book i'm breaking it down yeah and in a, you know and I, i'll go into work mode rather than <laughs> rather than enjoyment mode yeah. i put an audio book in i can just enjoy the narrator mm -hmm. enjoy the story and I, I don't know what that says about me probably something really <laughs> Probably, probably because my issues have issues. You know? <laughs> You're great. You're great. Your issues need to go to therapy. That's <laughs> yeah, my, my, issues, my issues. Therapist needs a therapist. <laughs> Man, somebody can make their career on me. <laughs> I love. That. I do. I love that. And so now we're gonna segue into learning a little bit more about you through Christy's 10 speed route questions. Christy? Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. okay, so super easy, super fun. We're just trying to make it fun. So whatever comes to the top of your head, okay? Number one, if you could instantly become an expert at something, what would it be? Riding dolphins. <laughs> I like that though. That's really cool. Number two, and this might be a little harder maybe for a uh, for a fantasy like Tolkienish, but which one is your favorite superhero? 
Oh. Um, Conan. Oh. Pardon? Conan. Okay. <laughs> He's a superhero, right? Yeah. I'm going to call him a superhero. <laughs> Number three, is the glass half full or half empty? The wrong glass. Oh. <laughs> I love you, Brian. This is great. Number four, if you had, okay, this is a good one. If you had a pet parrot, what would you teach it to say? Um, back in five minutes. This <laughs> <laughs> is <so> hard. <laughs> Number five, if you reach for a snack, are you reaching for something salty or sweet? Yes. <laughs> Good. Number six, if you were asked to move to the Mars colony tomorrow, would you? Hell yeah. Good for you. Good for you. I think it'd be cool. Number seven, do you cannonball into the pool or do you dip your toe first? Oh, when I was a kid, I cannonballed. As an adult, I don't even go to the pool. <laughs> <laughs> too risky, too risky. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> okay, another one. In high school, were you the class clown, the athlete, or the straight-A student, or a mixture of something, or something different? I was the straight-A stoner. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, number nine. Do you learn by doing or watching? Actually, I think you learn by listening, the way you're talking. I, you know, uh, with me, it's a combination. It really depends on what it is, too. You know, some things I have to do it to understand it. Some things I can watch or listen to you. Some mm -hmm. things I can read it and do it. I mean, it just, yeah, it just a combination. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it depends on the subject matter. Sounds good. And then the last question, which, you know, is really hard. Which reality TV show would you agree to go on? Survivor, American Ninja Warrior, or Fear Factor? <laughs> None of the above. Uh, American Ninja Warrior, why the hell not? Man? <laughs> Sounds good to me. Not, Thank you so I'm much. Not, I'm, not, I'm, not eat, I'm not eating sautéed bull penis. <laughs> Thank you so much. Those were classic answers. I love it. Love it. Oh my god! Like the best answers. Yes, anything. <laughs> you know, you you could really see the the writer in Brian in those answers as well. Yes, it's exactly. So the dolphin. Yeah, <laughs> riding a dolphin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, aren't they the motorcycles of the sea? <laughs> <laughs> I am the renegade bard of mystery and man. <laughs> <laughs> so stride the mighty puck i blaze a fantasy trail across the land for others to follow <laughs> oh my God. Right. are you writing that down somewhere <laughs> i actually, actually was doing some youtube stuff where i was like documenting my trips and my in the conventions and i'd open it up it's me brian d anderson the renegade bard of mystery and mayhem <laughs> i love it love it make sure to to find brian so yeah so that that is a great segue into where they can find you brian okay uh briandanderson.com actually if you just push brian d anderson into any search engine you will see my uh, smiling face looking right back at you um 
You can find my books online and uh, hopefully in your local bookstore, depending on which ones you're wanting to find. Um, <laughs> I am Brian, uh, Brian D. Anderson 7 um, is my Twitter handle, author, author page Brian D. Anderson on Instagram, The Godling Chronicles on, um, on Facebook. But like I said, if you look me up, you will see me. Sounds yeah. good. So even on even on YouTube, like if they type your name, then your channel. Will yeah, come just up. type my name; it'll come up. Yeah, because I want to find that channel. <laughs> I yeah, you seem to lose my luggage in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Oh my gosh! That, oh my that's the thing that happens. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, now I'm see see beyond just your writing. I I want I. I want to delve into your world and, and who you are. It's just so amazing. Well, I tell people if a, if a 51 year old broke down man like me can go on an adventure, the hell's stopping you. Yes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I would, if you want to go to the Grand Canyon, I mean, you don't have to do the crazy stuff I do on, on my bike and go on all these hardcore rides everywhere. But if there's somewhere you've always wanted to see, what's stopping you? Yeah. You know, if it's yeah. money, save up. If it's, yeah. You know, I mean, if it, if whatever it is, find a way to do it because this isn't a dress rehearsal. You know, I mean, yeah. this is you got one chance at this, and my hope is to see as much as I can before I shuffle off this mortal mortal coil. Good for you. I love that motto. Very good. And to see more of you, what are you working on now, Brian? That the well, I am right now. I'm working on the second Talos book, uh, the final in the My Kiri series. Um. I got some things in the hopper that I can't really talk about quite yet, but uh, maybe I maybe I come back after after everything's Please. sort of yeah sort of uh, solidified. Um, so I got yeah I got plenty on my plate. Mm. Yeah, I, we would love that, Brian D. Anderson. Yes, part two. definitely. Omg, <laughs> Omg, we would love to have you back. And and Anytime. And, and and you know we dear listener dear viewer if you did not enjoy this episode i don't know i just don't know. <laughs> we we just right. we, we just loved it and please let us know in the comments down below what are your answers to christy's questions they are ever evolving and i love them and uh do they match brian's answers although i don't think they will so let us know or is word correct? Or is word uh, word uh, would correct me cleverer? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and you know if you have a shelf book that you would like to share with us, please email us at the shelfbookspodcast at gmail .com and we would love to read them on this podcast as well. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please make sure to subscribe. You know, give us a little like. And because uh, that helps the algorithm pick us up and show us to more viewers, more listeners. And we would definitely love to have you back here next week because we have another amazing guest. And I know I keep saying amazing a lot, but all of our guests are amazing. Writers are yes. amazing. Yeah, so of course you got to be. All of them. Okay. And, and we have definitely many nuggets of wisdom in this episode alone and so much learned, we have learned, uh, the three of us have learned so much from you brian i appreciate Thank you that. so much that means a lot yes we are your hosts katie bacalista angie sandro christy berman and we are the shelf books podcasting remember everybody keep on writing bye, bye.
Thank you, Brian. Thank you. And that was another episode of the Shelved Books Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Till the next one, stay safe, read more, write more, and continue to be at your creative best. The world is waiting, and so are we.